Genesis. Genesis chapter 6 this morning. Genesis chapter 6 this morning. We are looking for a couple of weeks here at stories of grace. How do we, as believers in Christ, notice the grace of God in our lives, not just the big things, but even the little things? And, ha- and do we tell stories about that grace? That's kind of the, the, both the challenge and the thing that I've been thinking about and meditating on both uh, this year and, and over vacation. And, and uh, it was uh, on vacation, we were up in Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, my father-in-law has a boat that he's still working on. Yes, for those of you who have been here for a while, it's the same boat that we got stranded on in the lake um, in. And uh, he thought he had, uh, he was trying to revive it. And he thought, now that I was up there with him, that we would go and figure out what was wrong with it. And so uh, we, we took it and, and put it into the lake and uh, immediately found a leak in the back of the boat. There was, like, you could hear water trickling into the boat. That's never a good sound, you know, when you're in a boat and water is trickling in. Um, And so, not only that, but uh, when we got, we started up, we drove around the lake some, but uh, once it warmed up a little bit, it just was like the engine just wasn't running right, you know, like the carb was off somehow. And and so, we brought it back in. And uh, we uh, tried to put it back up on the trailer, but uh, it just, it's, a, it's a bigger boat, it's a little heavier, and uh, with, with the engine trouble we had, we didn't get it all the way up, you know, like tight to the top of the trailer, you know how that goes with the, with the winch and everything, and so we're driving away, it's, it's, he's got this um, older Chevy 2500 um, pickup truck, it's me and, and my father-in-law and Kaisa is sitting in there, she was helping us out, and uh, he's like, you know what? I'm going to just, you know, pick up a little bit of speed here, slam on the brakes, and hopefully just get that boat to slide up into position. I'm like, okay, it's your boat, your stuff, go whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. So he, he sped up a little bit, slammed on the brakes. He's like, I, it, I think that worked a little bit. I need to get a little more speed. And so, uh, again, he gets out on the road, speeds up, gets up to 25 mile, miles an hour, slams on the brakes, and the brakes give way. You know what I mean? Like, like. Like the blow, 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 brake line basically, and he's like, "Oh shoot, now I'm in trouble, right?" So, so you leave with known boat problems. You come back to the house with the same boat problems, plus your truck is no longer working. You know, we just like limped it back to the, to the house, uh, and so, uh, so, so he he's a mechanic uh, by. Uh, enjoys doing it so he had the tools he he fixed the brake lines but we never got to the boat before he had to go uh he was speaking at a camp in minnesota for a week and he he, uh he and his wife took took the truck and a camper uh down to uh south of minneapolis so we're in duluth he's going through minneapolis to get to this camp and uh when he gets when he's going through Minneapolis, you know how the traffic is in Minneapolis, it's, uh, it can be bad, right? All of a sudden, he had to slam on his brakes, right, in the middle of Minneapolis traffic with that camper on the back of his truck. And you know what? His brakes didn't give way, you know what I mean? Why? Because he'd already fixed them, because he had a problem, right? And it, when God's grace comes into our lives, a lot of, sometimes it doesn't feel like grace, right? It feels like more problems, right? Problems on top of problems. 
And yet, God has a plan and a purpose for what he's doing in our lives, and we don't always know that plan. We don't always, we can't always see that plan, but sometimes we get glimpses. Sometimes we understand, because he tells us. And as we look at Genesis, we're going to see, in a sense, two different approaches to God's grace. And I'm going to contrast uh, Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 and Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and see how people uh, appreciate, notice, and, and submit, in a sense, to God's grace. So if you will, turn, turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. It's also up on the screen here. You can follow along as I, as I read it here. Genesis chapter 4, verse 19 says, And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the, the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. She was the, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play with a lyre and, and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is seventy-sevenfold. And here, here, as we just kind of get into the story, I want you to notice kind of the common areas of grace. So Lamech is, is kind of the fifth after Cain. He's the fifth in the generation, the fifth generation from Cain. And, um, and you get a picture now for how mankind has developed since the fall. You have uh, you have culture developing, you have um, ways of living developing that are, that are stable, that, that, that provide for you. And, and so you've got these three sons that, that obviously Lamech is proud of. He's got these three sons who are kind of creating culture and life and, and prosperity and, and, and protection. And, and he's, it, we, in, in theological terms, we talk about common grace. That is that in, in one sense, everything that we have that we receive is from God, right? And it's common grace. So Jesus refers to that as in, in, in the Gospels. He says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, and this week we've received a lot of rain, right? And it wasn't just on the just, nor was it just on the unjust. It was on everybody, right? Uh, and, and, and so this kind of idea of common grace is the idea that we receive talents, livelihoods, health from God. Everyone receives different things in different ways from God. And, and here we see Lamech, he's, he's received these, and, he's, and he's, he's, in a sense, his sons have received them. He's got, he's got this status, he's got this authority, he's got this um, uh, wealth, if you will, in a sense. And he, he took, this is the first, in a sense, song after the, the, the Adam and Eve fell from the garden, and what does he, in a sense, make a poem about? He says, uh, wives, listen to me. I'm, notice my status. Notice how great I am, in a sense. And what's his greatness? He says, well, I, I killed someone for wounding me. And the, the picture here, you're like, okay, you're talking about physical violence. You know, now, obviously, when we get into Genesis 6, you're, we're going to see that it was violent. But when he, when he adds in, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then then my revenge is 77-fold, you, you get a, 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 a fuller picture maybe of, of what's going on because Cain didn't have any physical threats against him, right? 
It wasn't like anyone was physically threatening Cain. What was threatening Cain was the fact that, that his offering wasn't accepted by God. He, he had kind of uh, a threat to his spiritual security, right? And so he kills uh, Abel as a result. And here, in, in some sense, so he's using a physical picture, but he could mean overall, just this, this person um, threatened my status. He, he wounded me by, by mocking me. He wounded me by making a cutting remark about me, and so I killed him. And I have the right, you know, even though it's never recorded in Scripture in a sense that uh, Cain was taking revenge, but, but he was trying to get, you know, get Abel out of the way. And what you get here is this start in human civilization of what you would call honor revenge, right? Like if my honor is offended, if my name is put down, then I have the right to take revenge. And we see that in human culture all over the place. Why? Why does Lamech feel the need to do this? Because he's received so much grace from God, right? It, I mean, he's, he's got sons that are well-renowned. They have skills and abilities that, that they're renowned for. He's got stability. He's got two wives, even. He's got all these things that he can point to and say, look at, look at all the things I have. But common grace has this kind of double-edged sword to it. If you don't recognize that it's from God that God is the giver of these things to you, then you think you have to hold on to them yourself. You think that you've achieved it. You've, you've possessed it. You've made it your own yourself. I've made it. My sons are successful. I'm wealthy. I've arrived. And any threat to that, right, becomes I have to put down that threat, right, because I have to defend my status. I have to defend what I've worked to achieve. My honor is at stake. And so you have here a kind of this response to common grace where instead of looking to God and saying, God, thank you for the status and security and grace that I've received, instead, we defend it. We attack those who would threaten us. And you see that even as we get into Genesis chapter 6. So turn over your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were old, men of old, men of renown. Now, this is a somewhat confusing passage. What, what is he referring to here? There's a, a couple of um, standard kind of interpretations of this passage. Uh, one, one is the idea that the sons of God is a reference to uh, Seth's line. And you see Seth being the godly line. And, and his, his sons instead look at the daughters of men, that is Cain's line, if you sense, and says, well, they're attractive, and we're going to kind of inter intermarry, right? 
because we're going to shift from trusting God to accumulating what we want for ourselves. And then it goes on to say the Nephilim are, you could say the giants, like Goliath, giants were in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men, men of renown. The other, the other option, uh, the, the Jewish, kind of the Jewish tradition holds that the sons of God is a reference to angels, okay? And, uh, and so, because the sons of God is a, usually a reference to angels in the Old Testament. And so it's, I don't know which one is the absolute correct answer, okay? I think both are plausible in the story. But in the text, the point here is not so much, is, is, is what's going on in human, in human culture. Again, it's echoing this idea that's coming out of Lamech, okay, that instead of us going to God and trusting God and following God and finding our status and our hope in God, we've moved away from that to, I want to accumulate as many attractive wives as possible. I want, to be, I want to be known as a man of renown. I want my physical impression and my, my physical possessions to be what makes my status. And in verse 3, the Lord responds to that. He says, my spirit shall not abide in man forever. Another way of translating it would be to say, my, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's, like, he's just saying, the word here is, is kind of entering into legal proceedings with mankind, and we're trying to negotiate a settlement, so to speak. And he's saying, God is ultimately saying, hey, you've got 120 years before this ends. Because I'm not going to put up with this mess where I made you, I've given you so much grace, I've given you so many good things, and you instead just make it all about you and what you want and how great you are. And even Christians can do this, right? We can turn God's gifts of grace into symbols of security and status. Well, I've got this career. I've got this, this family. I've got this 401k. I've got these, these aspects of my life that I think are important to me, that I want, that not only, you know, that idea of status is that idea of what other people think of me, right? And then we think to ourselves, well, if I have these things, then people think well of me. I can, I can go into any, you know, any room, any place, and people are going to be like, ooh, this guy, he's important. This woman, she's important. That's status. And, and not only, why? Because we view the status we have as security, right? Like, this is, this is how I want my life to be stable. This is how I want to feel protected. Why? Because I've received so many good things, and I'm going to, rather than turning to God and saying, God, thank you for those things, we say, I'm going to hold on to them myself. I'm going to hold on to them myself. And when we do that, we get defensive, we get fearful, we get destructive. See, every gift of common grace has kind of this double-edged sword to it. You can either make it, make it turn you toward God and say, God, thank you. Thank you for health. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the, the hope that I have. Or you can be like, oh, God, I'm going to hold on to this. I mean, maybe you gave it to me, but it's mine. We're all presented with a choice. And Lamech chose to defend his honor to destroy people around him in order to get what he wanted and to keep what he had. Let's see the opposite choice. 
under the point, remember acts of grace here in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Again, we get a, a more fuller commentary on, commentary on everything we've just read in verse 5, where it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and the thoughts of, of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart, right? We were, we were made in the image of God to reflect his rule, to show that he is great, and instead we're taking all the greatness for ourselves and trying to continually, that's all they were doing at the time. Not too different from today, honestly, right? So, what's the Lord's response? Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man out from... I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is, this is the first time, this, this word here for favor is the, also it's translated grace. It's the, it's the main word grouping in the Old Testament for grace. And that's why some of your translations probably say that, for Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the first mention of grace in the Bible, okay? When you have firsts in the story, they set the tone for everything else. But if you're like me, you're like, well, what does this mean? Like, this is a weird phrase. Have you ever thought about Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Like, no one kind of talks like that. Like, I found, I found uh, wisdom in your eyes. Like, oh, I was staring into your eyes and I found wisdom. <laughs> like, what does that even mean, Right? And, and so you wonder, okay, what does it mean? And, and in context, obviously, it's clear. It's something other than judgment, something other than being blotted out, right? <laughs> like everyone else is going to be blotted, blotted out. Noah's finding grace. So we're not going to be blotted out. Noah's not. He's not going to be destroyed. He's going to be secure. But what, is, what does it mean? How do, if, if we're supposed to kind of consider this for ourselves, how do we know if we've found favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? Like, like ever wonder that? How do I know that I've found grace? And this is one of the things about um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch. And um, people dispute who wrote the books. I think I think it's clear if you study it in detail that Moses wrote the first five books. And here's one example of why that's true, okay? Because it's like Noah's the author. He gets to this, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he's like, and he knows, he's like, oh, my readers are going to wonder, what's this even mean? This is the first mention of finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it's like, he's like, uh, wait till I tell you my story. <laughs> because let's go to Exodus 33, okay? Exodus 33. The Exodus 3.3 is wrapped around this narrative of the golden calf. You remember the story in the, in, in the Old Testament? Moses uh, rescues the, the nation of Israel through God's help and the plagues from, from Egypt and Pharaoh. And they're now in the land and they're establishing this covenant with God. And Moses goes up to the top of the mountain, right? You know, it's a famous movie too. Moses goes up to the mountain to, to, to get the... the Ten Commandments and establish the covenant and come back. And God's like, they've already made a golden calf, right? I, what does God say? He's like, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. Sounds similar, right? No, God's like, I'm going to wipe them out and start with Noah. 
and God tells Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. And, and Moses is like, no, for your namesake, you've, made, you've done so many great things. Don't do that. And so we get, in Exodus chapter 3, we get this conversation between Moses and God. And what is he saying? He's saying, God, I want to know that I have found favor in your sight, right? Verse 12 here. See, you say to me, bring up this people. Take, God's saying, go on up to the land of Canaan yourself. Take them up, okay? But you have not, he says, you're telling me to do this, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Next verse. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in, my, in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He's saying, I want to know <laughs> that I found favor. I found grace in your eyes. How do I know that I have? How does God respond? My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. How do we know if we found favor in his sight? He says earlier, I, I want to know your ways. I want to know your plans. I want to know how this is going to go. And God says, I'll tell you, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to give you rest. Verse 15, Moses responds, and he, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that if I have that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So here's kind of four aspects, right? If you put these two stories together, what we're expecting to see is if, 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 we've, if Noah's received grace from God, found favor in his sight, then he's going to know God and know God's plans. He's going to have God's presence with him. He's going to be rest. He's going to have rest. And his name is going to matter. He's going to have status. Now, let's back up because we missed part of the story. Noah is in, in, the, in the line of Seth, and he, he grew up, this, he's in the line of Seth, he's the seventh generation from Seth, okay? Whereas Lamech was the fifth generation, and we don't know exact years here because they don't, one side we have years, one side we don't. But Noah doesn't have kids until he's 500 years old. When he's born, his dad says, now that Noah's here, basically, we're going to have rest from our labor. You know, basically the curse is going to be lifted. You know how the curse is going to be lifted when there's still a curse? When you make your kids do your work. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it feels like uh, Noah's dad is saying, ah, now that you're here, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you can do the work. And Noah doesn't have kids for 500 years. Can you imagine being alive for 500 years and not having any family at all? I mean, going from you? That's a long time. Now, when we put the years together, what you, what, Noah goes into the ark when he's 600. So if God says, and, it, and it's hard to tell here, it's, it's with that 120 years where God says, I'm going to give him 120 years, it's hard to tell. Does he give him 120 years, and then he says, okay, now go build the ark? Or is it 
that God's saying, I already know the plan. It's 120 years, and then the destruction's coming. It's hard. It's not clear in the text what the story is. But let's just go with the second option, which is kind of the worst option, that, that God says 120 years are left. What it, what it means is that Noah doesn't have kids, in a sense, until he knows what the plan is. Like, he's like, if I'm supposed to provide rest to everyone in front of me, I'm not going to do that to my kids, you know, right? Like, ever parents done that, right? Like, if this world's getting worse, I'm just not going to bring kids into it, right? And yet, at, at 100 years, his kids, from the time he gets married, I don't, we don't know when he got married, but he has kids at, at 500 years. He has 100 years when, when, the, when the flood comes. And he's building this ark, not for 100 years, but for like 40 years or more. And, and you get this picture of, again, of, of, the, of, of just Noah's name. Like Noah, like for 500 years, his name in a sense means you're taking care of your parents. You're your, you're your parents' meal ticket. You're your parents' workhorse. You're your parents' you know, you know, retirement 401k. That's all you're good for. And he's like, I don't, there's no good. I don't want that. But he trusts God. And God gives him grace, and he, and he says, you know what? Noah, no, there's a different plan. <laughs> there's a different plan. I'm, I'm going to wipe out the earth, but I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to do something different. I'm going to provide rest. So it's not all about just everyone fighting with each other and, and killing one another and, and defending their honor. I'm going to make it about my promises, right? Because that's what happens, right? And God comes to Noah, and what does he say? He says, hey, look, I'm going to wipe out the earth. Start making this ark. And then when they build it, he's like, go into the ark, you and your family. Actually, what's ironic is if you read through the years, you realize Noah's dad died five years before the flood came. But he goes into the ark, and they w go through the flood, and, and they get through the flood, and then they come out right at the end, and God's like, okay, I, I, I want you to know that no longer can you just, you know, anybody can kill anybody. <laughs> this, is, this is not the way I designed things to be. And not only that, but you can know my plans. You can know that I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. You see, this, this grace that Noah receives, it's, again, nothing he's earned, but he's received, he under, he's received information. God reveals himself. This is who I am. These are my plans for the world. And he understands this is what the future has in store. Not only that, but I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you through this whole process. And not only that, when you get to the end, you're going to have rest. You're going to be able to rest. And your name... Well, everyone, basically everyone living today has come from Noah and his three sons, right? This is, this is the picture the Bible holds. Now, when, when we get, to, we think, well, how does that apply to us today? Like, how do, again, how do I know that I've received grace from God today? Like, that was back then with Noah and maybe Moses, Moses, the nation of Israel, they, they were preserved, they haven't been kept, no. This is where Paul is so wonderful, right? Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the grace that we've received as, as believers. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. What do we have here? We have, we have God's love for us, his plan for us, his, his rest for us, right? Because he goes on to say, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ meet be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, were be- and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our possess- inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We receive God's presence. We know God's plans. We have God's rest. And therefore, we have a new name. We are in Christ. Old things have passed away. This is who you are if you've trusted in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it really clear. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. This is not something you have to earn. It's not something that you have to do in order to gain God's favor. Like if I just do a certain amount of things, then, then I know that I have received favor in God's eyes. No. It's because of what Christ has done for us. It's all of grace. And this is why we call it, in a sense, special grace as opposed to common grace. Because special grace comes to those who trust in what God says to them. He reveals his plans to them. He reveals who he is to them. And they say, I believe it. I trust in it. It is the gift of God. So we're, we're faced with a choice here, if you will. You're, you're basically, do you know God or not? And this isn't a matter of just acknowledging, well, yeah, I've received a lot of things from God. No, it comes down to this choice. Are you going to view the things of God as something that you have to accumulate, you have to hold on to, you have to cling to? Or are you going to view the things of God as something that come from God as gifts, that flow out of who he is because of his plans for you? And that you're going to trust in his word to you, not in the things that you can accumulate. Listen, the world says, hey, go after money. The more money you have, the more status you have. And and the more security you have. So why wouldn't you just go after money? But again, it's that double-edged sword. You get money, and if you're clinging to money, (laughs) it's a very poor master. The world says, well, just make a career, right? Like, make a career of your life. You know, get this job and get this career, and you'll have security through your career, and you can have this... You know, everybody will respect you for the career you have accomplished and the things you can do with your life. But if you cling to that, and you don't see it as a gift from God, 
But, he, you know, sometimes careers change. <laughs> He's got better plans than just giving you one career with your life sometimes. Sometimes you say, well, I've got talent. You know, I've got musical ability. I've got drawing ability. I've got this ability. And it's, it's so great to have this talent. I've got to cling to the talent. I've got to be noticed for my talents. Again, God gives us different talents. We're all made in amazing ways. But are you going to cling to the talent or cling to the God who gives all grace and has better plans for your life than just giving you a certain amount of talent? Sometimes we cling to right living, like, I'm doing the right thing. I know I am. I... And we forget that we're saved by grace and not by works. Because just like in Noah's day and just like in Moses' day, judgment is coming. This world is not just going to continue and continue and continue in destroying itself. God will eventually rescue his people and destroy those who do not trust in him. That's what's going to happen. He's revealed his plan. He's told, he's told us what's going to happen. And he's offering us the chance to believe it by faith and know that we have his presence and his grace with us. So, if you aren't in Christ, if you haven't trusted in Christ and believed in the promises of Christ, then you have no name, no status, no hope of rescue in God's eyes. And which would you rather have? Status in God's eyes or status in some other person's eyes? And so I guess my challenge is, is kind of this last point here, to delight in the hope of grace. Delight in your hope of grace. Look at how it transformed Noah's, Noah's life, right? He starts to, he has kids, he, he starts to build this ark, even though I'm sure people mocked him, like, what are you building? Like, you know, there was no rain, <laughs> there was no water around. He's building a boat in the middle of nowhere, right? He didn't care. He's like, my life, I, I know God's plans for me. I, I know what's going to happen. And he, it says in other places in scripture that he preached and, and offered the same hope to other people, but no one besides his three sons took him up on it. The question, as you think about delighting in your hope of grace, is, is your life transformed because of grace? Are you working and, and working and waiting while you work, right? Is, is, is your life about what you can accumulate and what you can accomplish and what you can, you can have and what you can enjoy? Or while you're accumulating, having, and enjoying, your bigger picture is, I'm waiting on God to show up. I'm waiting on God to deliver. I'm waiting on God to do what he says he's going to do. Which one is it? And in, in the ark, too, it's ironic because God says to him, you know what, take food for yourself and the animals. You know, God, God knows how to provide for us on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the ways that we delight in our hope of grace is just acknowledging our daily bread, right? Do we notice daily the things God has for us? the things God has given us. So how do we delight? We, are we waiting? Are we, hope, are we grateful? Are we, are we noticing the things God gives? And the last thing that I would say in delighting in our hope of grace is there's these covenants that God makes with, with Noah and then with Moses. And then he makes one promising the new covenant, 
that he establishes with Jesus. He also has the, the, the covenant with David. There's these key covenants that God makes all along the way. Why? Because he wa- he's saying, these are my promises. This is my plan. I'm, I'm revealing who I am and how I'm going to act to you. And I would just encourage you, do you know those covenants? Have you studied them? Because they impact who you are, what your story is, and how this is all going to end. Do you know those? It's one of the ways that you delight in grace, is getting back into his word. Noticing what it says, because Jeremiah put it clearly, when he was talking about the new covenant, he says, I know the plans that I have for you, right? Plans of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's grace. And the question is, is do we notice the grace? Are we looking to the grace? Are we just looking at what we have to accomplish and the troubles we have and the things that are keeping us from getting what we want out of life and enjoying what we want out of life? Are we seeing grace? This is one thing that I, even as I thought about stories of grace in my own life, I realized at the end of the day, sometimes it was more about what my frustrations and my, what, I, what, I was, what I wanted out of life and what I wasn't getting out of life, rather than noticing what God had done in my life. And the more I started to notice what God had done in my life, the more I loved the grace of God. And that would be my plea for you, my prayer for you, frankly, is that you would notice and love the grace of God in your life. And so, maybe just an application about stories of grace. We all have different stories. There are stories of God's common grace, right? God gives you a talent, and you can use it, and you get recognized for it. It's not bad. It's good. God gives us good things to enjoy. But do you thank him for it? Do you thank him publicly for it? That's one of the ways that we can tell stories of grace, is to just thank God for his common grace. It's okay, it's good, it's good to do. Why? Because it keeps you from holding on to it and clinging to it. But then, there are also stories of coming deliverance. The main, the main part, of the first part of Genesis, anyway, is we're, we're all waiting for God to deliver Noah. And I don't know how many times as I thought about grace in my life, I realized that some of the frustrations that I had and some of the setbacks that I, I saw, some of the, the things that I was like, God, what are you doing? It was like God was saying, but, but you, you realize that this isn't the end of the story, right? Like, like the, the whole goal is not that this happens. <laughs> it's that I come back, that I can make all things right, that I make all things new. So don't get too wrapped up in getting all the things right now. And that's grace, right? It's a reminder of God's story in your life, what, what his plans are for you. If, if you're all wrapped up in, I've got to get it all right now, I've got to make it good for me now, we're, we're forgetting that God has this much better plan for us in the future. There's also stories of rest. Because you know what? Even though, in a sense, Noah had to no, work for a long time building an ark, it was also a work of rest, was it not? Because he's like, I'm just waiting on God, I'm building an ark. You know, you know like I'm, I'm not building up my own 401k, I'm not building up my wealth, I'm not building up my status in the community, definitely. 
I'm just resting in knowing what God's plan is, and I'm just going to live based on that. There are things in life where you decide to wait on God and rest in him that comes out of grace. Do you have stories like that where you're like, you know what, I, I had this opportunity, but I realized it wasn't quite what I thought God wanted for me, and I was just going to wait on God for this. Can you tell those kind of stories? There's also stories of status. Because Noah's definitely looked down on by the world. He's mocked for making a, an ark. And there'll be stories where you choose to do the right thing and make the right decision, and people will be like, that was dumb, why'd you do that? And you'll realize, I'm a child of God, I'm part of that family, and that's what truly matters. So, you really have a choice in life. You can either take God's grace that he gives to everyone and cling to it and hold on to it and defend it and fight for it and make it yours and destroy people who threaten you. Or you can rest in God's grace. You can delight in God's grace. You can realize this life is not all there is. <laughs> There's a bigger plan happening and I'm going to trust in God's grace. Which will it be for you? Now, one last thing. I, I, last week, I had a few people respond and say, yeah, I want to be part of this group kind of talking about stories of grace. I'm going to just, another week here, next slide there. Uh, if you want to text our church number, 515-316-2161, we're just going to kind of form a group of people who are just curious and interested in, in telling stories of grace and getting better at it. I'm looking forward to it. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you do it over the next several weeks. Just, again, it's not high pressure. It's just as you... We'll kind of discuss it in a group like, well, just, let's just notice a few things and tell each other. Because sometimes we just don't have the opportunity, or sometimes we need to think about it some, right? But here's the reality. God is at work. His grace is at work in your life. Either calling you to himself, saying, notice, notice who I am. Notice what my plans are for you. Will you trust me? Will you trust what Jesus has done for you by dying on the cross and rising again so that your sins can be forgiven and you know you have the hope of heaven? Or are you clinging to what you can accomplish in this life and what you can, you can, you can hold on to this life and how much money you can make and how much thing, things you can accumulate and how, what people will think of you and, and you're going to just play all the games to make sure everybody thinks well of you and in the process you forget what God thinks of you. What's it going to be? I would plead with you. Look to grace. Delight in grace. Remember grace. And tell stories of grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. It comes to us unearned. Noah hadn't earned it. He didn't deserve it. We don't either. But you reveal yourself to us. You show your word to us. You show your plans to us. You promise to use your presence. You promise to give us rest. And you give us a new name. So we are called yours. Help us to delight in grace. Help us to love the grace you've given to us. And help us to share stories of grace as well. In your son's name we pray. Amen.